Well, good morning, church. I missed you last week. We were um, off in New York State dropping a couple girls off for college. It's kind of funny. My wife and I came home after dropping two girls off, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're sitting at home with our, with our crew and, and uh, looking at each other. My wife and I are like, man, it sure is quiet in here. In an empty house, and I looked at it in an empty house with five children. Like, are you kidding me? You know, like we're transitioning to empty nesters, but it sure changes when you go to seven to five. You know how it feels, right? Yeah, anyways. Well, we miss seeing you, but uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Hey, um, welcome to a new series at East Bay Calvary. This is a vision series that we'll build as we go along. Our vision, um, our vision builds off of God's. And these first few Sunday discussions we have together detail his vision for church. It gives us a platform to build off of. And about a month ago, we were talking in here together, and I did a little teaser. And um, we talked about our, our vision being this hashtag for the 40, and it's because our area has a unique challenge to it. We, we recognize our region has an unusually high population rate of de-churched people in our area. 40% of our region is de-churched. And, and can we just grab that for a moment? 40% of our region is de-churched. They used to go to church and no longer do. And that's the problem we need to talk about and focus on. And then on top of that, think about this, 59% of millennials do not go to church at all. And, and this is something that blew my mind here recently. <clears throat> I don't know if you realize this, older millennials are turning 40. I know, I heard the gas back, back, back there. Older millennials are turning 40. We've been talking about the 25-year-old millennial for 15 years now. The need of today is radical and growing at breakneck speed, and the motivation of the church to influence our world must meet the level of need or we continue to lag farther behind. It's just the reality of it. And so motivation is key. Motivation is why we do what we do. And, and two of my favorite motivation quips are, are these. The most motivated person on earth, I love this one. The most motivated person on earth is a five foot 10 inch non-swimmer in six feet of water how true that one is. <clears throat> and then the other one, I, I love this one about motivation, as at a busy dental office where I work, this one woman wrote, one patient was always late. And once when I called to confirm an appointment, he said, I'll be about 15 minutes late. That won't be a problem, will it? And the woman, the woman responded, no, I told him, we just won't have time to give you an, an, an anesthetic. 
he arrived early. <clears throat> so motivation is fuel in the tank of our lives. It is the why we do what we do. And there are many different motivators out there. Some good motivators, some bad motivators. But probably the biggest motivator of all is love. We do some crazy things for love. I remember when Lisa and I were engaged. I was a youth pastor down in Ohio. She lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she gave me a call that um, she had just picked out um, the bridesmaid dresses. And I had just gone through, it was a large youth group I was in, and we had done three weeks of consecutive VBS. And, and after that, I was so tired, but she, she called, she said, I just picked out my bridesmaid dresses. I was six hours away from her. I had one weekend, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to surprise her. And I, and I drove the six-hour trip up to see her for one evening, and, and the deal, gang, I don't care about dresses. I love her. That was the whole thing. And, and love, love motivates you to do crazy things. I've seen my wife stay up all night with a sick child. I've seen people give up a whole week of vacation to help a friend in need because of love. I've seen people travel to the other side of the world to help people that they don't even know because of love. I mean, I've seen people give up paychecks to help other people because of love. I mean, we all understand that love is an intense motivator. I've seen adult children take in their ailing parents because of love. And, and love is a motivator that causes people to do self-sacrificing things that we just wouldn't do for any other person. But we do it, and we do it because we love. And so today's a reminder for us. Today we don't talk about our accomplishments or how awesome our love is. Today's not talking about what we do. Today is a reminder of why we are here in the first place. So our vision starts with God's vision. Our vision starts with who gets the credit for why we're even here in the first place, folks. And why he did what he did for us. And so today, we declare the reality of the whole vision of God that love is why he came. Now in a class, years ago, a student once asked Dr. Lee Robertson, a famed theologian and preacher, what is the greatest, deepest theological truth that you ever encountered 
And Dr. Robertson answered definitively, it's this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know this may start out sounding elementary, but our vision starts with God's vision. Our vision will never be better than God's vision. Our motivation will never be better than God's motivation. And let me just give you his motivation. Here's some verses. We've mentioned some of them already in our time of celebration around the Lord's table, but here, here's one. We talked about it earlier, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Now here's the deal. I love you. Well, I love most of you. We've been able to develop a relationship here. Now don't take this personally. I mean, nothing personal, but there's not a one of you that I would give up my boy for. I'm sorry. There's not a one of you that I would give up my son for. And the Bible says God loved you so much that he gave his one his only son. And then it declares in 1 John 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one, his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. It's not that we love God. It's nothing that came and originated with us at all, but he loved us. And he sent his son, his son did this work, this atoning sacrifice for our sins. It was nothing that we did, but his son was the atoning sacrifice. And then Romans 5, 8, and this, is, this just sheds the light on the whole thing, that he showed his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, he died for us, and, and it's not only that he gave his son, but here's the, the immensity of this all. He's seen us at our worst. Just face it, gang. He has seen us in our worst situation. Like, he knows the thing that we did that we thought no one saw us do. He's seen our nastiest action. He's heard us utter our foulest word. He knows our filthiest thought. He has understood and discerned our harshest motivation 
our biggest lie and for all the filthy, sinful state, is there any question why we deserve punishment? Like, just categorize all the nastiness. Is there any question why we deserve punishment? Why we would deserve hell? Is there any question about that? And even though God fully knows all of that, God's love for you is so intense and strong that he sent his son Jesus Christ to be tortured and killed to bear our punishment for our sin. Now folks, that is some crazy kind of love. And my question, does it get any better than that? Does it get any better than God? Does it get any better than his love for us? And we all know the answer to that, it does not. Amen? It does not get any better than him. And I just want to picture the love of God in one final way in our remaining moments together. We finished our series in Ruth a few weeks ago, and I just want to take one final look back at Ruth chapter 4. Would you grab your copy of the scriptures or maybe your device? If you have your device with you, just um, type in Ruth 4 in Google. You can do that and it will bring up uh, Ruth chapter 4 and you can, you can follow along there. Or in your copy of the scriptures, it's the um, eighth book of the Bible right after um, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then there's Ruth. And we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4. <clears throat> I just want to show you one last picture from the scriptures of God's love for us, and then we're going to draw the net on this thing here this morning. <clears throat> now, um, it, it maybe you weren't here with us through our little series in the book of Ruth. Ruth was a widow from a foreign country. She came to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was also a widow. They had nothing. Here's the deal. These gals had nothing. They were just trying to survive. Ruth followed God. <clears throat> she picked up leftover grain in a field in town, and it just so happened that that field belonged to a man named Boaz, who was a, a close relative, and she didn't know it at the time. And for us, it may not seem like a big deal. He's a close relative. Well, back then, that was a big deal because the close relative was someone who was supposed to step in and help in their time of need. And here's what they called him in biblical days. He was called a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer is what they called him in Bible days. And in fact, this kinsman redeemer was responsible for protecting the interests of needy family members. And the words kinsman redeemer were mentioned nine times in the book of Ruth. And so that you know, this is a really important theme here. So the word kinsman redeemer, this kinsman redeemer could, number one, it could marry the widow... So it could marry Ruth, it could redeem land that a poor relative sold, the kinsman could redeem a relative sold into slavery, and could avenge the killing of a relative. So here's Boaz, and he desired to marry Ruth. 
And that sounds fantastic, possibly the end of the story, but there was another kinsman redeemer in this story, another one who was more closely related to Ruth than, than Boaz was. And so Ruth chapter 4 records their discussion. So here we are, Ruth 4, verses 2 through 6. I'm just going to read this for you. It's actually going to be up on the screen. <clears throat> and here's the discussion between Boaz and this other kinsman redeemer talking about the potential of taking on Ruth. So Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, this is the one who is actually more closely related. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And at this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So here's the deal. Here's the picture of love. This is what I want to finish up with in our time together. And this is going to give us the final understanding that, folks, love is why Jesus came. There were two kinsmen. There is Boaz. We don't know the name of the other one. And there was a difference between the first kinsman and Boaz. And I'm going to tell you what the difference was. There was a difference between the first kinsman and the Boaz. And if you're taking notes, if you have your study guide, here's the difference. The difference between, and they already gave you the notes, so it's not a big surprise what I'm about to tell you. The difference between the first kinsman and Boaz is love. The difference between the first kinsman and Boaz is love love the first kinsman wanted the land but when it came with Ruth when it came carrying on her deceased husband's name and his line then the first kinsman backed out of the deal because it would affect him or could affect him and his finances negatively now he did have love but the object of his love wasn't Ruth. He cared for his estate, his money, who he would hand it over to, and how it was organized. But Boaz, he had love, and he had love for Ruth. And we saw it in chapter 3. He knew who Ruth was. He knew who the kinsman redeemer was. <laughs> 
He knew there was someone else. He knew he was committed to step in. He knew he was ready to do it if the other person wouldn't. And sure enough, bam, he was ready to go when this guy wasn't. And the second this man stepped down, he stepped up. And in the presence of all the witnesses, as we noted a number of weeks ago, he held the sandal and he said, hey, in front of all of you, Ruth is my wife, and I'm taking her as my own. Now, in the picture of spiritual rescue, this is how we want to look at this. The kinsman redeemer is a picture of Jesus Christ's love for us. This is just how this works out. The kinsman redeemer is a picture of Jesus Christ's love for us. Jesus became a man like our kin. He became like one of us to redeem us. So Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We obviously are like Ruth and in fact probably in worse shape than Ruth. We have nothing to offer him. We have nothing to give him in return. And purely on his own he comes to our spiritual rescue. We who are lost and poor and destitute our sin is in a worse predicament there's no way out of our demise and here Jesus steps in and he makes the ultimate sacrifice to redeem us from our sinful state and to offer forgiveness and a forever relationship with him Chuck Swindoll says it this way, and better than what I ever could. He says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and so God sent us a Savior. And he sent us Jesus Christ. So here's two things I want to give you. Love is why Jesus came. Two takeaways. Number one, folks, can you embrace this? I don't know why you're here this morning. You might be coming here saying, I have a world of hurts in my life. I've been rejected. I've been hurt. I have needs, and you may need to hear this right now, God is crazy about you. God is crazy about you. No one loves you greater than God. Do you believe that? No one loves you greater than God. Do you believe that? No one pursues you farther than God. No one has sacrificed for you harder than God. No one has given to you more than God. Think about it. And he didn't do it because of what you can do for him. 
You know, our story of redemption isn't, you know, lassie where we find our way home. It's where we are hopelessly lost and he comes to our rescue. He's the hero of our redemption story. And love caused him to leave his place in heaven, to lose his recognition in heaven, his worship in heaven, the exercising of his deity. Love caused him to take on humanity, to hunger and to thirst, to have needs, to ache, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be tortured, to be killed. And and here's the truth. Jesus didn't play it safe. Jesus didn't try to de-risk his situation. He didn't take the easy road, but rather he laid it all on the line and he held nothing back because, folks, that is exactly what love does. Real love puts it all out there with no thought for itself. That is what love does. That is what Jesus did. And God did it because God is crazy about you. God loves you like no one else. Ephesians 2 says it better than me. It's by grace you've been saved. He laid it out there for you. It's through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. No one can boast. And he saved us, not by righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. God loves us. I don't know where you're at this morning. But if you walked in here this morning and and you're looking for love, Folks, I know where you're going to find it. If you're looking for someone who will always love you, I know where you're going to find it. If you're looking for someone who will never, ever stop loving you, I know where you're going to find it. It's with Jesus Christ. And he's proved it over and over and over again. He loves you. He loves you no matter what. He loves you despite all of the things that we've done. He loves you. And that's never going to change. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He's crazy about you. Here's the second takeaway I want to walk through with us here this morning. Second takeaway. I never have anyone argue with me about God loves you. We're good with talk about God's love. People say, preach it, pastor. That sounds nice. God loves me. Here's the harder one. We should love like God. We should love like God. That sounds a little harder now, doesn't it? Let me give you some support for this. 
2 Corinthians 5 mentions, for Christ's love compels us. It motivates us. So what Jesus did, how he loves, that motivates me. Because we are convinced one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but those who, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And, and then he goes on with his great treatise, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the big deal is God's vision, his motivation of love to reconcile people to God by sending Jesus Christ. He wants us to have that same kind of love, the same vision for those in our world to bring them to God as well. I used to get caught up in a lot of debate. I remember pulling all-nighters in college. Um, have you ever gotten caught up in the debate about, now I'm just about ready to walk right into the heated stuff. Have you ever heard the debate about Calvinism and Arminianism? Okay, you have. Okay. If you haven't, just find someone who has. And you'll hear about it. Oh, it's, it's a great debate. And I do lean in a direction. And I had stayed up sometimes all night in my college dorm debating this and duking it out. And there was even a point in time I got really good at it. And I, I almost enjoyed getting really good at it. And I'd like egg it on. I'd take people on. Like, this is kind of fun. Almost like I had a gospel gun. You know, <laughs> like, this is great. I remember even in ministry, talking with other pastors and taking them on. And I still hold my belief and appreciate my belief. Some of you even hear it eking out in my regular preaching. I came to a point in my life, and here's a confession, when I realized I was arguing with more believers about salvation than I was sharing with unbelievers about salvation. And I realized I had a problem. I had a problem. And my priorities were out of whack. It's funny, the love of Christ was not compelling me. <laughs> 
in the direction it should have been compelling me. My motivation was the thumper. To have one up on other people. To take them on and it wasn't so much the helper. I was more motivated by a desire to win an argument than to win the friendship of an unbeliever and to point them to Jesus. I honestly came to the point where I realized I loved myself. I loved winning. And that's not loving like God. Does Christ's love motivate me to visibly show his love with others? To help connect people to Jesus? To help connect people I don't know to Jesus? To help connect people, here's the next tough one, folks, to help connect people I don't like with Jesus? Are there people that you don't like that you would struggle connecting with Jesus? Are there people who have done you dirty that you would struggle wanting to connect with Jesus? Now I'm asking this because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Remember we did his, him dirty while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember that whole thing? And so I put it out to us, if we're to love like Jesus, we would indiscriminately want to connect people. We would love indiscriminately. And so, you know, there's this Bible that I have here. This is not the one I was preaching from. I brought this one up this morning. Um, I, I came across this one in my room this week, and this has history. I'm just going to tell you about it for a moment. This has a very unique history that none of you in here know about at this point in time. And here's what this is about. I had someone in my past that did myself and my family dirty, bad. And I'm not going to go into it here. It, it's, it would not be helpful for anyone's imagination. But they took, they took bad advantage of my family. And I remember I had some thoughts in my mind that were not very loving. You can run wild, though, with some of those thoughts. I was not thinking about discipling them. I was thinking more of disposing them. And I remember one of my kids, don't you just love kids? Saying, why don't you Take him to dinner. <laughs> Can you believe that? Take him to dinner? 
Maybe you can connect with them. thing I wanted to do. But I do remember um, going along with it. And I pulled into the restaurant and I prayed so hard, folks. I don't know if you know it, but loving like Jesus is not an easy thing. The easiest thing was paying the bill hardest thing was talking with this person and being kind and caring and forgiving and loving. And then we finished up the evening and I gave him my cell number and I said, how about we reconnect? said he would like that. And I'll tell you, God started to change my heart from, I'll be honest, one of anger and bitterness to I almost think I might have cared for the kid. And I went and I bought him a Bible put his name in there and I wrote in here I've seen this book change so many lives starting with my own enjoy and I put in a whole bunch of verses and I cross referenced them and then we had a coffee date And he stood me up. And I know you're wondering, where's the great story ending, you know? Well, right now, the great story ending, God may not have changed his heart, but God changed mine. That's the great story ending. Because I didn't love like Jesus. I didn't care to reach this kid. God changed me. And I really think if we're about to catch a vision, we first need to catch his, folks. Who cares about ours? 
our vision builds off of his. And we need a love like Jesus. And we know we love like Jesus when we love others more than ourselves. When we love people that we otherwise really wouldn't. We love like Jesus when we sacrifice. When we sacrifice conveniences, when we sacrifice interests, when we sacrifice preferences for others, even others that we don't care about, even others that we don't know. When we visibly care for people that we'd rather hate, when we do just about anything short of sinning to help connect people with God, now that's when we're starting to love like Jesus. And if we don't love like Jesus, we won't have vision. Or we will, it'll just be for us. It won't be for them. And love is why he came, is why he came. So I got two things. He came for you. Love is why he came, and he came for you. And so I, I just don't want anyone to walk out of here without understanding God loves you. He came for you. He did the work of redemption. And what you need to do, my friend, is embrace it. You need to accept it. You need to believe in your heart and embrace the truth that Jesus is your lover. He is your leader. He died for you to forgive you, to give you relationship with God and to lead your life, give your life to him. He came for you. Accept him today. Then number two, he came so you can love like him and start catching and embracing that vision. It's not for you. And that's the beauty of vision. Vision is so that we're looking out there, not looking at us. We're looking at others. We're not looking at us. Vision isn't about us. So would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes? Would you think in your heart and in your mind, what vision do I need to grab? Love is why he came We see that vision, is that yours? And would you talk to God right now? God, would you place that vision in my heart, in my soul? To love like Jesus. To love like Jesus. you talk to him God help me love like Jesus
And God, for our ministry, for us as individuals, may your vision be ours. May your heartbeat be ours. May your love be ours. Help us look outward, not inward. Help us to let go and not hoard. Help us to love those that we would otherwise hate. Help us to sacrifice when selfishness would rather grip us and when people see us may they see that they love like Jesus and to remember that love is why he came and we pray this in Jesus name